As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to Rates and Barrels. It's Friday, December 18th, 2020. Derek Van Riper, Eno Saris, Britt Giroli here with you on this Friday for what is scheduled to be our last Rates and Barrels of 2020. Failing some sort of very interesting trade or massive free agent signings, uh, we are going to enjoy a little bit of rest before coming back at it in full force the first week of January. Uh, So beginning the show. How are you guys doing? How is everybody feeling as this year finally winds to a close? Britt, what have you been up to? Well, I, uh, I've i been up to going to the food bank, the Maryland food bank. I went this morning before uh, we sat down here for this podcast. Um, I've been learning Spanish. Those are like my two kind of productive quarantine things that I've been doing. Other than that, I've been trying to not annoying my husband because the two of us have never spent this much time around each other. <laughs> and if you're listening to this podcast, you're in the same situation. Send me tips because it's been a real, it's been a real interesting <laughs> dynamic to to uh, share a town home, share an office space, and be constantly on top of each other. Um, it's definitely. I, I love him, but not that much. From you like know? zero Just to sixty, like, oh. screw that. It's like <laughs> zero to a hundred. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's like I I was a baseball beat writer, used to traveling, see you every ten days. Yeah. Now it's like breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Like, so crazy. <laughs> uh, he doesn't listen to this podcast, thank God, so he'll never know. This <laughs> Your husband, my family, they don't listen to the shows. Yeah, yeah, my mom just listens to the beginning. So hi, mom. Uh, the uh, I think that one of the keys is, and I don't know if you have enough space for this, is just to have uh, time by yourself in a, in your own space. So I like that I've seen different backdrops for you. So I do know that you yes. move around a little bit. So work in the kitchen one day or something, or work. You know, I know I don't know how many rooms you have. So like, just be like, today's a bedroom work day. You know, and you get out. Yeah, leave me alone. Yeah, I think an outside hobby is the secret to not going stir crazy at the end of all of this right we're nearing the end it feels like we're getting closer to 
what could be a, at least a partially normal 2021. And being inside this long, this much, is so different. Whether you travel as often as Britt does for her job or whether you're home all the time anyway, like finding new healthy habits because the things that used to get me out of the house, I'd play soccer or I'd go play pickleball or I'd go mm-hmm. do something with other people. Ultimate Frisbee a few summers ago, right? There was sort of team social gathering things that even though it wasn't really about playing those things as much as it was about just getting out of the house, like those are gone. And doing those things on Zoom or the equivalence of those things on Zoom oh. is horrible. I, I have come to the point where I actually dread using Zoom outside of work. When it all started, being able to see friends and family on Zoom was like, well, this is nice. At least we can still do this. Now it's just like, forget it. Like I've, I've got screen fatigue and it's just as bad as it's ever been. Um, but yeah, if you don't have a lot of space and you're in a new relationship, um, that'd be really bad. So I think, I think Eno's right. I think changing your location <laughs> within the townhouse is key, but an outside oh, hobby, like just walking, <laughs> yeah, running, running has been that for me. The, the, you know, I got to my 500 mile, uh, you know, number that I wanted to hit, um, and uh, it's time without screens. It's time outside. It's time by myself, and uh, uh, that's been really helpful. But you know, I, 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 we said you know during the summer that we would do these spotlights, and I think that we should take this opportunity because it is a season of giving. It's a season of the time to give. And, um, you know, for me, I've struggled with, uh, this, this idea that like, there's, uh, so many people in need (laughs) and there's, and there seems to be so many different ways to give. Um, and so my response have been somewhat, um, very, to try and be very targeted and specific. And so I've done more kind of like GoFundMe, um, and sort of specific fundraiser giving this year than I ever have where, uh, you know, like my uncle, uh, his house burned down in the fires. So like, you know, helped start a, yeah. a GoFundMe and help uh, create some interest around it and and, and uh, gave to it myself. And then, um, you know, Jen Mac Ramos had the uh, unfortunate accident. Um, and uh, I helped try to boost the signal on that and gave to it. So there was um, you know, there are these, uh, <clears throat> that was, I mean, I, I, I characterize it unfortunate accident. She was run over by a drunk driver. So it's, it's much worse than that. But, um, um, you know, the, the, these specific ways I felt like I could make a, a much, a, a bunch of impact, but I think we should put a spotlight on sort of more general stuff because, um, you know, I'm looking at the stat here that says nearly 8 million Americans have fallen into poverty since the summer. And that's from the Washington post. Um, and it seems like it's a number that uh, is agreed upon from different media outlets. And that's a, an amazing number. That's a lot of people. And I um, just wanted to, to, to give Britt a chance to talk about her, hers in specific. And then maybe we can uh, give people an idea of how to uh, give to those kind of because, you know, as much as it is helpful for me to like try to help people specifically like one on one. Like there, there are reason these bigger uh, things exist. There are reason that they're, they're these bigger organizations. They can help more people. Um, and uh, so, like Britt, like you're when you're volunteering, like what do you do, and what's the name of your food bank? Yeah, so it's the Maryland Food Bank, and I just started this month. And I agree with you. You know, it's like the GoFundmes and stuff are great, but you end up in that bubble of people you know or friends of friends where it comes mm-hmm. across your feed. 
what's nice about this is you're giving a few hours, you sign up, and and I've boxed up dinners, I've boxed up lunches, it's all socially distant and masked. They do play some Christmas music. You see people like from a distance, so you kind of feel like you're around people. For me, I've left my house, which, as I mentioned in the <laughs> intro, is absolutely key. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then you feel like you've you've done something. I mean, what struck me during the the intro video, uh, my first day, was they said that they've already hit double the the output. So there is twice as many, at least, people in need that need healthy food that don't know where their next meal is coming from. And if you think about that, that's staggering. Um, they said the number was initially one in 10 people in the state of Maryland didn't know. They think that is more closer to two or three out of every 10 Jeez. people now in the state of Maryland. Yes, that do not know where their next meal is coming from. So what's cool about the food bank is uh, there are food banks, I'm sure, everywhere. And they place an emphasis on healthy food. Today we did like turkey wraps with cheese. Um, that came with a side of celery and a little ranch and then peaches. So it's it's not just giving you cheap food that's junk food. It's also teaching people to eat healthy, which I think is also important, right, to help to help combat some other issues we have in society. How did you find that? Because I, I found a thing here called uh, feedingamerica.org where you can search by zip code. And, you know, that's either if you need food or but also I think it could be a, an interesting way to find somewhere where you can um, – you could volunteer. How did you how did you find your uh, your spot? So you can you can kind of search like food banks or charities near me. Mm -hmm. And we got lucky in that the Maryland Food Bank is five miles away. Um, a friend of mine who covers the Orioles, his fiance actually works at the Maryland Food Bank. So I had texted her when I saw the volunteer page. Um, a lot of the Volunteer pages are are waitlisted, but because of COVID, a lot of times they said that people don't show up or they cycle through. So um, especially now around the holidays, if you're looking, don't get deterred, I guess, because people tend to want to help right now and then forget about it. And this is something that they're going to need help with forever for a long time. We're just at the scratching the surface, right, of the, the COVID-19 ramifications. So hopefully, even when the season gets going, I can go maybe like a couple times a month still. So um, it's been fun. It's really cool to do, um, to, to do something rather than just giving money is nice. But one, I'm not a millionaire. I don't have the kind of money that's really going to impact. And two, mm -hmm. doing something kind of makes you feel good with your day a little bit, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting too because I, there's people in all different corners. Some people don't have time, but they do have money. Some people don't have money, but they do have time. There's a lot of ways to help. Sometimes it's just simply amplifying groups like this. Uh, the food bank near me that I try to help support is Second Harvest of Southern Wisconsin. Uh, there's a lot of Second Harvest food banks, and I think they all pretty much come up if you go to the site you know mentioned, feedingamerica.org, and you search for something in your area. Uh, and one other thing that people worry about is they say, well, if I'm going to give money, I want to make sure it's used in the best way possible. Uh, you can look at a site uh, like Charity Navigator and just verify that the charity you're supporting or the group you're supporting does, in fact, use resources effectively. Um, so that's always another way to kind of make sure that your dollars are going as far as they possibly can and making as much of an impact uh, as they possibly can. But those numbers are staggering, and they could easily be even worse than reported. I mean, I, I think we've seen pictures on, on social media from all different cities of people just lining up because they simply don't have food right now. And at I think a time of year, especially where I always feel very fortunate. My family's never worried about where our next meal is going to come from, from the time I was a little kid through adulthood, right? If I go to a grocery store, I'm 
not worrying about what I'm putting in the cart. And um, that's it's an amazing privilege. It's an amazing amount of luxury just in, in that alone. And uh, just to be able to help people, especially this time of year, but at any time of the year with food in particular is something that's just really important to me. Yeah, so hopefully we'll be a little better on doing spotlights in the future. But uh, we, yeah, I think this is a, a perfect time to do it. Um, you know, uh, a perfect time to give outside of uh, your family um, and to and to think about people who are are less fortunate right now. Um, and uh, like your site, like you said, it's either you know money or time. Those are the two things you can give. Um, hopefully you have one of those, <laughs> not, a, not everyone has, has one of those though, but, um, it seems like with COVID we're inside a lot more. We, it seems like I've got all the time in the world. <laughs> yeah. Time. So. It, some days it just drags other days. Like it feels like it goes by in an hour because the days are so similar, right? That groundhog's day yeah. thing that a lot of people are feeling is, is very real. Uh, hopefully you can yeah. find a group near you to support if you're able to do that. Uh, this holiday season. Uh, we had some great baseball questions that came in through the mailbag. One really good one that I think is kind of a, a central topic to today's show. And it was a question about in-game video room access and teams that lost WRC Plus from 2019 to 2020. The email came from one of our listeners, Matthew. Uh, he wrote, I wonder if there's any correlation between teams with fairly stable rosters that underperformed offensively in 2020 and the lack of in-game video usage. Mainly the teams that I wonder, Abel, are bolded in the table below. He sent us a really good visual with this. Uh, the Cubs, the A's, the Astros, the Twins, the Brewers, and the Diamondbacks were the ones he flagged. Do you have a sense of which teams relied more heavily on in-game video rooms in 2019? And have you heard anything about this being available again in some capacity in 2021? So let's take the take the first part of that question first. Do we have a good gauge of this, or is this the type of thing that is very individualized to players, even though you would see significant drops in team performance from year to year if your best player lost a lot of offensive production that would impact your overall team number from year to year if you're using WRC plus as a measure uh, if either of you heard anything about teams as a group because everything I have seen so far has been isolated to specific players JD Martinez and Javi Baez are the first two that always come to mind when this topic comes up um, you know, I did a piece with Andrew Baggerly um, about the opposite side of this table. The Giants had the, and the Giants and the Padres are in the top five too, but the Giants with a 31 point change in their WRC plus um, had the second biggest offensive turnaround year by year uh, of any team um, since uh, 1974, since free agency started. So um, <clears throat> you know, the answer for the Giants ended up being, you know, some personnel changes, um, some changes in, in coaching, some just regression to the mean for their guys like Belt and Crawford and Longoria just sort of returned to a little bit toward, to normal. Uh, but one thing that did stand out is the coaching process changed. The hitting coach changed and the coaching process changed. And when I asked the hitting coach there, Donnie Ecker, to describe you know, what's their mantra? Like, what is, what is it that, 
Um, he wants, and he said, I want Brandon Belt. If you ask Brandon Belt after the ninth inning, or you ask Donnie Solano during batting practice, or you ask this guy at a different time, like if you, I want them to all say that the thing that we do best is get them information that they need at the right time. Um, and so that, that comes to mind as, um, relevant when you're talking about um, not having this video, right? So the Giants may have found some way to get timely information to their batters um, without th- without having video nearby. I don't know um, if... I'm not suggesting that they sort of skirted the rules, but maybe they just uh, had a good process in place to get information to their players, um, and that process was independent of in-game video. Um, and maybe other teams were more reliant on the in-game video. I mean, just seeing the Astros at the top is kind of instructive, uh, perhaps, even though they lost uh, some key players and, you know, Jose Altuve just had a a bad year, maybe health-related. So there's so much going on in a team number that, like, I I don't want to, like, just be like, aha, you know. (laughs) You know, the Astros weren't cheating anymore, so that's why. But, you know, the cheating thing was, it wasn't like last year, you know, so... Um, I don't know. It's I I would say the the real answer is it's complicated when you talk about things on a team level. Yeah, I agree. That's not like a singular. Oh, this is the reason why because some of the teams like the Pirates and the Rangers are two and three behind the Astros. Are they what we consider the analytic forefront? Like, like we the know, we know the Rockies like don't have an analytics department, and they were like fifth or sixth. Right. You know? <laughs> yeah. And and then on the flip side, the Phillies. I've heard some things about how like they've really struggled analytically, and they're in the they're in the top five in terms of with the Giants in terms of the positive side. So to me, there's some weird, like you said, this isn't a a equals b scenario. It's like a equals b plus take into account c plus you got the factor of d here. Uh, the coaches is interesting because the Padres too, right behind the Giants have had great success. And a lot of that, I think, has to do with some of the coaches they brought in. Bobby Dickerson, their infield coach, was named Baseball America's Coach of the Year. Mm. I think he's an underrated guy and what he's able to do. Obviously, having Fernando Tatis, Manny Machado is going to make you look good as an infield coach. But I do think that the Padres have a good system in place um, in terms of that kind of stuff. Um this is a fascinating question, though, and I feel like Eno's mind is just churning with all the potential mm-hmm. articles that something like this could turn out. Uh, I am not a numbers person at all, but looking at this chart, um, it's fascinating to me. The teams that are just the Nats and Red Sox are just like a straight zero. Like, I would have thought there would have been some maybe drop off for the Nats because they went from the World Series to last place. Mm-hmm. Uh, but again, it just shows you how kind of fickle the playoffs are and how really were the Nats the best team in 2019. No. Does anyone think they were the best roster in 2019? Clearly not. Um, It's just interesting to see the teams that are right around that zero mark. The Yankees negative one, the Cardinals negative one. Um, You know, there's a lot to to digest and a lot of ways you can analyze something like this. I don't even think that it makes sense on a on just like a player level. Like I can't make sense of it. Um, on a player level, because even the name, names that you mentioned, uh, Baez and Martinez, like, you know, I was trying to like sort of think through like what, how would I see this statistically? Like, how would I, what would we see in the stats based on them not having in-game video anymore? And um, I, 
I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I thought maybe it would be, where's the strike zone? Like where, what are these balls that this umpire is calling balls and strikes, you know? And so I thought you might be able to see it in reach rates or in uh, zone swing rates or something like that. Uh, but neither Baez nor Martinez had like a terrible year when it came to reach rates. Um, so I don't, I don't know what it is. I really doubt that they're making a swing adjustment in game. So the other thing that would be, would be to get another look at the pitcher's stuff. And I guess that's, I think that would be the primary effect is sort of, um, you know, relive the at bat after you had the at bat and be like, oh, this is what he did in this order. This is what his, his curveball looks like. You know, maybe I can spot something in his fingers, uh, in his release point that, um, will like clue me into, um, clue me into this, uh, you know, and, and, and give me a better shot in the next at bat. But I don't know, um, how to prove that then I guess. Maybe we could look at uh, three third through uh, third time through the order. It, if there was a drastic difference last year uh, than before, like if third time through the order was way worse last year than it ever was before. Uh, but at the same time, like teams are not letting their pitchers go third time through the order as much, you know. So like there are league trends that are kind of going to mess with any numbers too. Yeah, and I wonder if this comes back to more of an Occam's razor sort of explanation where it's just like. 2020 was just weird and not having in-game video sure that was the thing that those players were most bothered by that was different at least that was the way they answered questions when asked about their performance but it maybe wasn't just that like sure that was a factor but I don't know if people are generally well equipped to describe all the specific things about this year that made this year hard for them whether you're a professional baseball yeah. player or not. Yeah, right. Like I was kind of talking about earlier, right? Like just right. me not playing pickleball anymore is having this weird impact on me, not because like pickleball keeps me really fit, but because it's seeing a handful <laughs> of people I like and relaxing for a couple of hours outside and, and just all of those things, like everybody's got a bunch of things that are different about this year. How each of those things are interacting to mess with us over the course of 2020 is really hard to calculate. And then now we're talking about, you know, baseball players who are, despite our best efforts, also still very difficult to predict year to year anyway. Right, because they they aged, right? Baez and Martinez aged. They're a year older. So there's age. There's an age effect. Uh, there's nobody in the, in the in the stands. So there's like an intensity effect. You know, we had that thing about spring training B-game level intensity, you know. So, um, you know, there's all these different effects that it's really hard to tease out any one thing and say, this is it. Like, I just had this piece about popularity, and you can't even define popularity, even though baseball is like the most metric, metric out sport. You know, any, any metric for popularity, fan grass clicks, jersey sales, Google trends, they all have, um, you know, weird little foibles to them that make them not perfect for judging popularity. Like, Jersey sales, almost all of them have a transaction effect. Think about Garrett Cole joining the Yankees. He's going to sell more jerseys just because it's a new, a new Yankee. It's a new Yankee, you know, a new jersey, uh, a new player on your team that's a star that got, you know, the, a lot of money was spent on him. So there's this transaction effect. Even if you look at Google Trends, you know, you look at Anthony Rendon, like he's not clicked all year, and then he's clicked, you know, a bunch right before he signs or around after he signs. So. 
you know, it's one of the things that's that's hard actually about you know trying to do anything with analytics or numbers is that um, most of the time, and I, I was just saying this to somebody, most of the time your articles just end with a big shrug emoji. <laughs> a lot of things I do end with a big yeah. shrug emoji. <laughs> 2020 it's gonna end <laughs> yeah like what was this year what just happened yeah. i don't what don't know happened? for sure i just don't want to do it again uh do you guys want to do a trivia right. thing real quick i got i just came up with a really great trivia fun random game oh, we can God. play so, again i know you both oh. love trivia so much so bad at it i would like it better if i was better at it yeah, right. <laughs> all right this one will not take long this will be my very quick my brain you guys can team up on this one you can just go back and forth Three wrong answers ends the game. There are 49 players, I think, in Yankees history who have worn number 45. And you named one, but you can name them again to get the first one. I don't know anything about jersey numbers. Well, let's just, I don't let's just take a brief trip down memory lane for the Yankees. All I know is that Rivera was 42. Right. Before, we just talked yes. about one guy who sold a bunch of jerseys <laughs> because he wears number 45 for the Yankees. Was Reggie Jackson 45? Uh, All those old guys were like no. singular numbers, weren't they? Reggie Jackson was everyone who's, who watched Reggie Jackson play in that era furious. 44. Oh, you were close. I no, thought I there did. were more singular numbers. I thought you were uh, making fun of me. No. Um, Andy Pettit. Yo, that's a good one. <laughs> nope. Pettit. Andy Pettit? Andy Pettit wore number 46. <laughs> Gosh. <laughs> You can't kill us. This is outrageous. Right, well, we're we're going to be our, Can we get so, a plus three, like, either direction? <laughs> Roger Clemens? <laughs> Roger Clemens. No, yeah. no, I don't think Clemens wore 45. Roger Clemens. 49 no. people wore this damn number, and we can't come up with one. Like, give us Mike credit if Mussina. we come up with one. <laughs> yeah, Mike Messina. Mike well, the guy currently wearing it and currently selling jerseys. No, it's not Mike Messina. Uh, so you guys have missed three times currently already. Wearing... Garrett Cole wears 45. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, well, I we Here's my funny point about Yankees jerseys, though, right? If if you had bought any of the other previous Yankees jerseys of players wearing number 45, you'd have a Garrett Cole jersey right now. If you would have bought Luke Voigt's right, jersey. there's no name. There's no name on it. Sometimes I see people walking around with a nameplate on their Yankee jersey, and I just think, you got the wrong one. Like I, I feel really bad because you, you shouldn't have it on there, but maybe you want to clarify for everybody whose jersey you're actually wearing because you don't want people to think you're wearing a Chazen Shreve jersey. You want people to know you're wearing a Garrett Cole jersey. <laughs> I have to tell you, though, I find it super annoying as a writer, and nobody, nobody cares about writers, but it's really, really uh, uh, terrible as a writer to be in spring training trying to cover a Yankee game or a Giants game uh, and have no idea who number 99 is. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, you yes. already don't know who these people are. And now you're trying to be like, well, he looks kind of tall. And where's that dang media guide? And, you know, sometimes a media guy doesn't even have, you know, the, 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 the high number guys because they just got called up for minor league camp or something. And you're just like, you, you, then you have to be like, um, PR, uh, sorry, sorry, um, so who's that out there? <laughs> yeah. I mean, my greatest fear as a beat writer, and this has not happened yet, is that I will call someone the wrong name. Because sometimes guys sit in front of the wrong locker because they're talking oh, to another guy. It's like my biggest, God. biggest, biggest fear, and it's not happened yet, that I'll go up to a guy and call him the wrong name. Oh, who was it? I, I can't Did even remember because there were two relievers, but there were two relievers for the Padres, and one of them had... The great mustache, the great like handlebar mustache. 
and I should have known who he was. And he was sitting in front of a rehabbing locker. And I said, how's the, how's the rehab from TJ going? He's like, I don't have not TJ yet. Oh my God. What? Have you talked to my doctor? And I was like, ah, no, I'm sorry. What? (laughs) I was thinking of Kevin Quackenbush randomly when you said that. I don't even know. Did Kevin Quackenbush have a mustache? I think so. Was it Heath Bell? Because that's all I think of when I think of like crazy Padres relievers. No, Both Quackenbush and Bell kind of had the same beard, like the very thick, not quite Santa Claus beard, but. One of these guys had a, uh, a, a like a Fu Manchu, like a handlebar. Mm. Fu Manchu. Well, there's a trivia question for the listeners. You know what, Eno? Yeah. yeah. And you know what, Eno? Why haven't we ranked like best facial hair? I mean, we've gotten like really low in story ideas. Why has no one done like a <laughs> 10, best, 10 best mustaches in baseball? People oh, would love it. God. If You know, if the offseason drags on, we come back. Uh, and there's nothing. Nothing's happened, and I think we'll have to do something. <laughs> I always We're doing think of it. I always think of Sal Fazano, which you know that's a that's an Orioles great right there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm telling you, people would love because they would just go in there and be like, "Oh, you missed this guy. Oh, what about this? You guy idiots! Yeah. <laughs> Clearly, the best mustache belongs to." <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. We had Daniel Mangden uh, around here in these parts. Uh, he always had the like kind of the Raleigh fingers thing going. Yeah. Well, uh, Hunter Hunter Harvey with the Orioles looks like uh, Kenny Powers. He's got the Kenny Powers mullet going on Whoa. and everything. Yeah. He's bounding he's, down. Yeah. He's he's, he's uh, leaning into the the reliever the reliever aspect of his job now. <laughs> going full <Totally>. reliever. <laughs> Best all time facial hair by org. So each writer could have to <laughs> dig into their choice. I think you have to have some ground rules for, well, you got to choose carefully, right? If you have a guy, relievers move around a lot. Sometimes relievers are the guys that have the best facial hair. So you got to use teams correctly. It's sort of like the Project Goat, where you want to make sure you use every team once, but you don't pull the wrong player from the wrong team the wrong year. Think about this. This could be a big story. <laughs> I'm telling yeah. you. And all these lists, Brian Wilson keeps coming up. And I have to tell you, man, I always thought Brian Wilson's beard was so weird. Because it looked like he put shoe black polish in it or something. It looked like it looked like a toupee. It looked like a face toupee. <laughs> like it looked Did gunky, anybody feel like it this? had just like goo yeah, in it. Yeah, like he dyed it. Yeah. It looks yeah, like he, he dyed dye it. it? His, 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 his eyebrows are brown and his fa- his beard is black. I don't. I never understood it, man. It it and then and I had this whole interview with him where I was like basically like, uh, dude, I don't get it. Like what is what's going on here? <laughs> and Wasn't he's his like, beard a big thing? No, Wasn't and I, like I, I meant I meant the whole thing, just the whole way he acted. <laughs> and he was like he's like, dude, it's an act. And I was like, Really? You're gonna tell me this on the record? He's like, Yeah, it's an act. He's like, if I if I go out there and act out crazy and throw the ball and look like I'm throwing it super hard and then it comes out at 45 miles an hour, I'll get a whiff. <laughs> we were talking about his knuckleball, but like, you know, he was, it was, it was like, oh, I now understand closing so much better. <laughs> a lot of confidence in that. Uh... The Kimbrel arm uh... thing is just like, they're looking at your weird arm instead of thinking about what pitch is coming next. <laughs> a classic distraction. That's why Soto does the shuffle. He said, is it in the minor leagues? He would be so distracting that these guys in double A would be like, oh, cool, fastball down the middle. Because what the hell is this guy doing in the box? Yeah. <laughs> that works. And I think it, I think it works, man. Yes. And it's also like, it's, it's such a like, 
is he celebrating a take? Like I could see like a picture being like, what? <laughs> Black yep. Guerrero has done that a, a couple times too, where he does like a little shimmy after he after he takes. But yes. uh, <laughs> I was oh, also gosh. just thinking about Papal Bond's little like thing he did with his Ooh. mouth. Like, isn't that weird? Don't you remember? Yes, it was that so was terrible. Weird. But by the way, let us know if you're listening to this if you would read a story about facial hair because I'm willing to bet that a lot of people have strong opinions about this. All right, let's let's get weird. That's for the Let's Get Weird <laughs> channel. And I've said this before too. That's Levi Weaver's bat signal when when that thing lights up. Like <laughs> Levi's there in five minutes. Like he, he's that's his jam. But I, I think you're going to find some writers that dig out their old baseball cards and really do some some significant research oh, yeah. on this too because you can find some classic facial hair back in those 70s and and 80s baseball cards. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Let's get to another topic. We learned this week that the Cleveland baseball team is kind of going the way of the Washington football team. They're going to change their name, finally. And instead of going down the why'd this take so long conversation rabbit hole, which we certainly could do, it took forever, it shouldn't have taken this long, I figured we could have a little more fun with it and say, hey, what should they call this team? It's an opportunity to rebrand and be something new. So I'm curious what you guys think. Have you had any names that you think are great fits as Cleveland chooses a new name for its baseball franchise? The Rocks. I'm all in on the Rocks because of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I know it sounds like Rockies. However, there's the Red Sox and the White Sox, and no one says anything about that, right? Like, okay, there's still a distinction. People are all about the Spiders. I don't really understand. That team was terrible. They used to have a team called the Cleveland Spiders, right? They were terrible. There's also some like um, we wouldn't want like there's some there's a legacy there we wouldn't want to reward. I didn't I didn't know all about this, but like the owners of the Cleveland Spiders also owned uh, the Cardinals back in the day or the whatever the team was in St. Louis back in the day. And they sent all their best talent from the Spiders to the St. Louis team. Hmm. So they like they own two teams and like collect and colluded with themselves. And um, they were banned as owners, uh, you know, and the the whole practice of syndicate ownership was banned. So, like, we would be rewarding like a weird legacy of 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 this group. Otherwise, I I mean, wow. I, I I'm a big fan of like you know David Bowie, Spiders from Mars, uh, the Spiders. You know, I think kind of could have some cool mascots situation. Um, but you know, why not? Um, you know, I think more Clevelandy could be like the Forest Cities. Uh, that was one of their early. That was one of their early names that doesn't have the same sort of bad background. 
Um, and I yeah. like I like rocks, man. I, you know, lean into this whole uh, rock and roll hall of fame and um, have you know have maybe some sort of allegiance with the rock and roll hall of fame. Maybe have like a little area rock and roll hall of fame area in the stadium. Like you know have uh, have like like a real premium on your walk-up songs and you know what I mean? Like maybe like rock out, like, you know, like have some, you know, some like really allegiance to that. Have a lot of uh, musicians throwing out first pitches and stuff. I don't know. I think you could really have some fun with it. I think you just for free offered them a slogan that they're going to pay a lot of money for an ad agency to come up with. Rock out. Like (laughs) Cleveland rock. rock That's just what it's going to be, right? It's going to be on shirts and everything. It feels like you could market that brand like a minor league team. It does have kind of a cool, laid-back, fun vibe to it. I think some of the the visuals you might kind of think of would be the Nashville sounds, right? They're kind of similar in that regard, but oh, yeah, being country yeah. music and everything. So yeah. you could actually, that wouldn't be the worst affiliation ever. I know they've got Columbus very close by, so they won't make that move. But uh, it's just one of those weird things where it's like, what really defines Cleveland? And the first thing I always think of is the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. So I don't have a problem with Rocks and Rockies being in Major League Baseball together. I think they're different enough. Uh, I'm curious if there's any other off-the-wall or, or really good historical names that I hadn't thought of. Because when this happened in D.C., the Washington football team, one of the logos that I saw that was kind of popped out there on Twitter by a designer was for the Washington Red Tails. And that was in reference to... Uh, a group of pilots from World War II, predominantly Native American pilots too. So it was actually a name that was a fitting tribute too. And it -hmm. it just seemed like a a great way to step forward and do something really good with that name change. Um, But I I think it's interesting too because these teams that have kind of gone kicking and screaming about not changing and rebranding, from a business standpoint, you're going to sell a ton of merch it, it always baffled me it's like you don't want to do the right thing for yeah. the sake of doing the right thing but but right. you don't want to do it to just make money like that's like who these people generally are at their core that's why you have 30 alternate jerseys right because they want people to continue to buy yeah, right. stuff right? <laughs> that's true <laughs> but and that's also why when they announced this this change they said they weren't going to do it right away you know they want they want to let you know they want to let the the current merch sell out. Right, you got to buy the current merch top dollar first. <laughs> they want first. to like put a sunset date on it right yeah, before exactly. it's gone. Um, and and also, I was thinking, you know, you're talking about like focus groups. Uh, you know that like you know they're going, they're undergoing the process. They got you know they've got McKinsey involved and blah 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 blah. And one of the things I think that happens when you do that is that you kind of go towards the most boring outcome. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, and uh, you kind of, I think that I'm looking at a name right now. Uh, the Forest Cities were called the Cleveland Blues back in the day. And, um, you know, with the Reds, you know, in the same uh, in the same place. And also, if you think about it, like aren't like 90 percent of jerseys either blue or red? A lot of them are. Yeah, it seems like yeah. it. Yeah, that's why the Padres jerseys Remember the are Padres so cool. changed, you know, like yeah. but they changed, but they changed to blue. And even the Diamondbacks used to have like a like a cooler uniform, and they kind of changed to that Sedona red. Right. Yeah. The old purple ones like the Randy Johnson era Diamondbacks. Yeah, those are long gone. Yeah, you know the only thing that's left is really the Marlins uh, psychedelic situation, <laughs> and you know, I I'm into it. I'm into weird man. They and they got rid of the 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 home run sculpture, even though 
I mean, it was ridiculous, but it was funny. <laughs> so I, I, my guess is Cleveland Blues, man. I like Cleveland Rocks, but I think it'll be the Cleveland Blues. Uh, the Cleveland Blues. That's good, too. Any, anything but, like, people are saying, like, Cleveland Buckeyes, and it's like, no, Ohio State already has that. You don't, like, you don't share. No. I Don't you guys feel like that's terrible? Like, you don't share monikers. No. Where they change it other... to the the Cleveland team, oh, <laughs> like the, the, the Cleveland yeah. baseball team. Yeah, yeah. it's like geez. I mean, if that's what you're doing, you might as well name them the Cleveland Cavaliers because they but they they right. butt up to the NBA stadium and then just everyone could buy whatever they want, right? Like that's ridiculous. I do think it's interesting if you if you look at some of the some of the markets in North America that have multiple sports in one city, the Pittsburgh franchises largely overlap in look right the pirates and the penguins and the steelers all have that black and gold color scheme and it's just kind of interesting that they've all just done that historically and it works for all those teams like those uniforms are all still pretty iconic within their respective sports i guess the pirates maybe a little less so but for all the things that we rip on about the pirates the uniforms and the the branding is actually good like the pirate stuff's cool Mm. like i I think the pirate yeah, theme is actually good. a lot of fun. You can lean into that quite a bit, uh, but yeah, the, the Cleveland Buckeyes, like I, I can't get on board with that one. I guess Bucks and Brewers have slightly. The Bucks change their colors and uniforms like every three years. Like they are yeah. constantly changing. I mean, they were red and green for a while. They were green and purple. Yeah. Now they get the cream stuff in there because Milwaukee's the cream city. I think they're finally getting it closer <laughs> to right. Like they're figuring out their identity now. It, it's. I like the really old school stuff. the The deer with the with the basketball is my favorite Bucks logo by far. I, I think that's they true. Stick that's with a that. good one. It's an that's an all time. Well, it's, it, even if even if it is boring, Cleveland Blues has a con- fun. You know, the in the Ohio Bowl or whatever the Cincinnati Cleveland games, um, Reds versus Blues. Like you know, there's a little bit of a of a you know a thing going on there. It'd be all right. You know. Well, they got the Blue Jackets in, in Columbus for the NHL team too, so maybe it's a little too similar to that. Mm. Yeah, but they also have the St. Louis Blues in the NHL, and they didn't have a problem with Blue Jackets and Blues. Mm-hmm. Think about that. <laughs> so I don't know. By the way, you know it's a slow hot stove when we've talked about like the cornucopia of facial hair, and we've also <laughs> hit like now, now, Food, now, now, facial hair, and now team names <laughs> and jerseys. <laughs> we work with someone. What we're do given. something. Yes. Make a move. <laughs> Make a move. There was one move that we didn't talk about in the last episode because it happened after we oh were done God. recording. What was that? Rafael Montero got traded. Yes, a reliever trade. To Seattle. Well, he's <laughs> maybe going to close. I mean, I think Jose Leclerc, now that he's healthy again, opens the year probably as the Rangers closer. With uh, Jonathan Hernandez waiting in the wings. Yep. So I think to take his job. that one to me is pretty straightforward. And all year last year, we kept saying, who's going to close for this Mariners team? I think they've at least positioned themselves to have an obvious first answer with Montero. So. That's kind of fun, I guess, but uh, it's not not the action we were looking for. I mean, Mike Zanino went back to the Rays, so my dream of JT Realmuto signing there has officially been crushed. I don't think they're going to allocate resources that way. And the Rays are getting close to a deal with Michael Waka. And, you know, it's funny because now we have reached the point where a lot of people on baseball Twitter immediately say, it's the Rays, so we must like this move, right? Like it's it's the stock answer. But you know, didn't you point something out with Waka on this show with stuff a while back? We were talking about uh, potentially right. undervalued pitchers, and he actually came up. I forget what specifically you were searching for that dug him up, 
but he was kind of like one of the last names that you mentioned. Like, oh, Michael Walker's on here too, and we we both kind of shrugged <laughs> and we're like, maybe he's a multi inning reliever now, and it's it's that's the right way to go, and that's the reason to do it. His uh, velo was up, so the velo club. There you go. He's in the velo club in September. Uh, his velo was ninety four point four. Um, in the beginning of 2019, it was only, it was below 93. So, um, you know, he's always had that four seam change. And the one thing about the, the Rays is they obviously, they'll take a guy to be three or four inning guy. Uh, that's a two pitch guy that can get through the lineup twice, you know, and that's what they're going to do with Michael Walker. You know, they only need to barely nurse a guy to the fifth inning. And, uh, I guess they figured they could do that with Walker just as well as Morton, um, and then uh, do it for cheaper. But, I mean, Morton is better than Waka. A lot even, better. Even at the reduced velo. Yeah. So sometimes you, yeah. you it feels like they're being a little cheeky. I mean, the real mutual market, though, as you mentioned him before, because he's not going to the Rays, is, in, is fascinating to me. Um, like, in an age where we're not sure what teams are going to spend like what, what I, I think the nationals make sense for him, but I don't think they're spending that kind of money. So I'm just like, I don't know. I don't know what they, the Mets obviously added McCann and their team who, you know, maybe could have spent that kind of money. Like what does he just end up back with the Phillies? Like, I don't know. Are they spending money? I thought yeah, like, right. It's, it's a fascinating, his Trevor Bauer is going to get paid. I feel like, I don't know if it's a one year deal or longer, but the Robuto market to me, is fascinating mm-hmm. to to kind of look at and say like who's going to spend right Toronto can, we know is is asking everybody like to prom right like they're 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 engaged with everybody but no one's really ready to commit um, I, yeah. I'm just not sure like and, uh, like I pointed out that. the Toronto Toronto actually has um, by OPS the the number one projected catcher in baseball <laughs> Alejandro <laughs> Kirk dude. I don't know what it is. Yeah. Steamer has him projected for the best OPS in baseball. Um, wow. So uh, I just I just don't see the need as being that strong to kind of go to $120 million. You know, I think Springer would be a better fit for, for the Blue Jays if they're going to spend that kind of money. And I think that you look around, and I think you're totally right. Uh, the Nationals, it, it's like the DJ Mayhew uh, market where you're like, the, the most obvious market for DJ Mayhew other than Yankees is the Cardinals and the Nationals. The most obvious market for Real Muto other than uh, the Mets um, is the Phillies and uh, maybe the Astros. You know, it's a, that's where I think the Astros might actually sign him. But for LeMayhew, I don't think the Cardinals and Nationals are spending any money. You can put the Nationals on the on the Real Muto level too. It's like they could they could make a huge upgrade to their, their infield. And uh, I just don't think that they're going to spend money. So... That's why I have you know Real Muto going to the Astros for like eighty million or eighty five million with an option. I mean, what do you think, Derek? I mean, I just that particular player to me is fascinating to watch it unfold because it's not like Harper and Machado where you're like, all right, they're going to get paid eventually. It just might take till March. I don't know if Real Muto gets that hundred million. DJ LeMay, who's going back to the Yankees, I feel like this is just posturing <laughs> on posturing. Eventually, he's going back to the Yankees. Just a waste of yeah. time until then. It seems inertia. Yeah, it just seems like it's where he's going. He wants a hundred. They want eighty. They'll give him. They'll give him eighty with an option that looks like a hundred. I'm on the Astros or Phillies at this point for Real Muto. For Real Muto. Process by elimination, right? But my dark horse went right back to the old friend in this case with Zinino going back to the Rays. Uh, the Angels, I thought, could have added Real Muto. I know they they like Max Stassi and 
they seem like they're comfortable with what they have at catcher. But just they're so obvious their need is pitching, and all their mm-hmm. moves so far have been for pitching. Yeah. The, the other player, we haven't talked about him a lot as a nice free agent who's available, and he's coming off a down-shortened season in 2020, is Marcus Simeon. And one of the fears I had about Simeon as 2020 approached was that he maxed out everything in 2019. He had an amazing mm-hmm. 2019 season, was a finalist for the MVP award, and even like literal playing time he maxed out. There was nowhere for him to go but down, and the shortened season was bad on top of the step down that he was certain to take I keep looking around at possible fits there and the Reds I think are the team that come up as the most obvious or the the team that's been linked to wanting to add a shortstop but there aren't that many teams looking for help at that position right now if you kind of scroll through shortstop's a young position right It's it's a franchise building spot for a lot of teams I almost wonder if he's gonna go right back to Oakland after a long wait you know if if he's if he's not going to get four plus years from a team like the Reds, and the Reds are doing some weird stuff, kind of paring down payroll, trying to save in the bullpen, that makes me doubt that they're actually going to go after Simeon, barring a massive discount. Yeah, and the thing about Simeon is, uh, you know, he's 29 years old, and there was only one qualified shortstop above 30 years old last year. It's the, it's a young position, so you know, Didi Gregorius, Brandon Crawford was that guy. If you want to know. Didi Gregorius is 30, Marcus Simeon is 29, Simeon's outs above average, his, his advanced stats for defense suggest that he's one of the worst shortstop defenders already. So, you know, he. I think that like teams are like, am I going to give you a four-year deal to be a shortstop when I think you might be a shortstop for one of those years? Um, and what kind of team is in that position to, to be able to do that? So I actually could see, you know, the the Reds are in in a good spot where they can just be like, I've got a three and thirty deal out there, you know, to to the shortstop that wants to take it. If it's Simmons, if it's Didi, if it's Simeon, whoever it is, we're not going to move off this deal. We're not going to give add to it. This is the deal. Whoever takes it takes it. And then I could see the A's saying we've got a two and twenty deal for whoever doesn't take the Reds deal. <laughs> so, you know, the Reds will end up with, I mean, the A's will end up with Simmons or Didi or, or uh, Simeon on a, on a, on a, a deal. That's good. Also, the A's have shown that they're willing to kind of put bad defenders in, in certain spots and try to kind of use positioning to get the most out of them. Yeah. I, I you're right with the shortstops though. There's just, it's a short list. It's actually, and you look at the market next year too and the shortstop market is going to be insane like there's just not a lot of teams that need shortstops and then you look and there's some really high-end ones who could be available very soon including Lindor obviously whatever happens with him I feel like there's been no buzz on that at all right well there's been no buzz on anything because clearly we're talking about mustaches for 10 minutes there's been no buzz but there's <laughs> stove is broken <laughs> yeah I I think I don't know what you guys think I mean this is probably a long conversation, but why not shorten it to a month? I know it's not the NBA. I know it's not the NHL where they can't do like two days of signing and it's over. But just think about how condensed a month would feel, right? It would still be action-packed. We'd still have a month to talk about the awards in November. And then you'd still have time to talk about rosters and like spring training previews. Just a month would change the whole offseason. Well, I wish what they would do is sort out who is actually a free agent quickly after the World Series. That way, your non-tenders don't get dumped into the market much later than players with team options that are due a few days 
after the World Series. But if you wanted to say, yeah, options and tenders should be like the same. They should be the same. I mean, maybe it, maybe it's a lot of work for the front office. Sque- though, right? Squeeze like, it. Make, make them both like ten days that. or fourteen days. But like make them the same. Yeah, close, get them closer together. Yeah. yeah. And if you said, okay, fourteen yeah. days after the end of the World Series, you got to make these decisions, and then we're going to have a moratorium on signing and trades until the winter meetings begin. We all immediately can go on autopilot for three weeks in terms of not expecting moves. Good. Maybe we could even schedule baseball writer vacation. Yeah, and it's a good point that Britt makes that there's still content. There's still content to be made by you can have award season. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So we just we just switch over to writing about award stuff for a month. How weird is it to like like have a manager of the year possibly go to a guy that was fired? Yeah. How weird is it to have manager of the year overshadowed by a really early signing in the off season or a trade too? Right. I mean, if you want. If you want to make right, yeah. your events stand out, don't randomly overlap them. Yeah. <laughs> There's an episode of Seinfeld where George <laughs> says, if you take everything I did in my life and condense it down into one day, it looks decent. I feel like if you if you do... <laughs> it's, really, it's the one where he's, he's uh, he pretends he's new That's in awesome. town and he's, he's dating the tourism guide. That's what he's trying to do. And she's like, this city will eat you alive. It's a, it's a great episode. Uh, but if you if you condense this entire MLB offseason so far into you know one week into one day one day one week, it's good. It's fun. It's exciting. It's a lot. It it's like MLB just took over for a week instead of MLB just sort of dumped a few things in randomly and Trickling. got overshadowed by everything else. So I do think following the lead of the NBA and you know stuff's happening behind the scenes during that moratorium, but you can't announce these moves. Then you kind of have this thing to look forward to. Where you're like, okay, now the window's open. Now these moves are going to start happening. Now we're going to work on reaction pieces, and we're not going to get caught up in manager of the year and rookie of the year and all those awards. I think that's a change that they really should consider. I do too. I mean, that that's my solution to make baseball a little more exciting in the winter. Just a month. Still a long time for teams. Still a long time for agents to negotiate and do their back and forths. Because you, like you said, they're doing it behind the scenes anyway. Um, just pick a month. I don't know what month that would be. Would it be December with the holidays? Would it be January? I I don't know. I don't. I don't. I haven't nailed that part down. But I think they want the winter meetings to continue to be a big deal. I, I think if if that's the case, then that's when you open the floodgates. That's when you say this is happening, and then it's, it's already a media event, right? They already have around the clock coverage for five days yeah. from. That event. Then so, your hot, then your MLB network hot stove at the winter meetings thing has a lot to talk about in the first day because they're just coming through, and then it becomes like a thing. Oh, I gotta turn it on. Like this is the first day that like they can announce anything. So that like the first day of the winter meetings, and that would combat the whole problem that we have that everyone's trying to just wait out. They're trying to negotiate like an a hole really, and just yeah. wait it out and wait it out and wait it out. And so, you know, yes, okay, like Bryce Harper doesn't sign anymore on the first day of the winter meetings. At least you get like the the kind of veteran signings, the low level veteran signings and the and some of the trades. You get that on the first day. Uh, you know, because I don't know I don't know personally how you can force a team to sign Bryce Harper on the first day. Unless you just make the transaction window like really short. But I right. think that but doesn't work either. If you took right. the first two days of this week and said that was the first day of the winter meetings, that's at least something. 
You had Hunter Renfro going to Boston. You had David Dahl going to Texas. You had the James McCann deal with the Mets. And you had that small trade we talked about where Rafael Montero got flipped. And then even all the stuff that happened before that. I mean, there's been some stuff. You oh, know? Yeah, so yeah. the Trevor Drew Smiley May. shining, all that Adam stuff. Adam Eaton went to May, a team. Like, yeah, like that's a lot of stuff yeah. when you start to add it up. It's, it's the Costanza yeah, it's like a stanza thing. <laughs> it looks pretty decent if you just condense it down a little bit. And you're right. You know, no one signs Bryce Harper the first day. But you know what else is super exciting? The last day. The down to the wire midnight move that gets made because otherwise he gets docked or the team gets fined or whatever they come up with mm. to make it that it ha- you have to do it in that period. Mm. How exciting is that? And then we're all exhausted, but then it's over. Then you can like go Go to the grocery store without your phone. You can do I all these things knowing like that it's Christmas. done. Yeah. Oh God, what, if, yeah, yeah. what if this window were 10 days or a fortnight? What if it started the Sunday night of the winter meetings and ended two Sundays later? Wow. It would be great. The transfer yeah, window. The, one thing I have to say, though, is what happens if your team loses a starter in spring training? You could have some kind of special provisions for replacing players. So you're yeah. saying like, but then you're also, but you're not saying freeze the roster in December. No, we're not freezing no. the roster entirely, but we're trying to do something. We're trying on free agent signings? Yes. Right. Yes. And once spring training starts again, you could start making additions to your team, but like January, dead month. Maybe I mean, only minor league I think league people signings. deserve it. I think people yeah. deserve it. I think people on teams deserve it. You yeah. know, there's something about baseball that feels very 24-7, 365. <laughs> you know? Yes. Agreed. So yeah. then teams, if we're talking like how we talked about teams don't have their budget set yet, teams would have to have their budget set because this is the period. This is it. Yeah, it's right. Time. Exactly. I think GMs might like it, too, especially this year. Like, right. hurry up. What are Ownership. we doing? Ownership. Tell me my number. I got to have it. Yeah. 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 Like, In January, the, the team could be focused on amateur scouting and organizing things on that front more, right? As the college season is going to get underway and then spring high school seasons are a couple months off. Like, you could... You could do this with a lot February of purpose. becomes more of an amateur scouting time, yeah. Right, and, and you're allocating resources within organizations a lot more effectively. It seems like there's a lot of ways to make this a win, and it's not just, we want transactions at this time. It's, well, let's do this better. I mean, that's the, that's the point. Like, just try and clean things up a bit when you can. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Uh, we got a lot of great emails, as I mentioned earlier. One was about the cheesesteaks in the mail that we discussed last week. There actually is a service that will mail you a cheesesteak. And before you're like, gross, because that's what we all thought last week. Uh, it comes from Campos, which uh, is underrated. This email came from Rob. They send the sandwiches made with peppers, onions, frozen on the side, sent in a foam cooler with instructions on time and temp to heat it up. So, I mean, that's about as authentic as you can do. It is out there. If you're interested, uh, recommendations for cheesesteak places include the aforementioned Campos, uh, Delisandros, and Jim Steaks. I won't tell people not to go to Pat's or Gino's, which I think I've seen on every food show ever. Uh, but in my opinion, there are better places. And that seems very reasonable, right? Those are the iconic places, but the, they're not necessarily the best places to go. 
at this point. Uh, Rob also recommends Tired Hands Brewing for a tasty oh, yeah. beverage. And um, yeah, Tired Hands is great. If we get sick of cheesesteaks in Philly, there's always Denick's in uh, the Reading Terminal Market. They have uh, great roast pork and beef sandwiches. Thanks for all the work you do. Have a great holiday. Thank you for the email, Rob. I, I'm glad there is a way to, you know, if, if you left Philly and needed a cheesesteak, you actually can get one and not have it just be a sloppy mess uh, when it shows up at your door. Uh, we got a would you rather for you guys. It's the holiday Christmas movies edition. I put them into two groups. There are about eight Christmas movies I've seen a lot, and there are probably five or six really popular ones that. I have either seen parts of or I've seen once a long time ago or I've never seen them at all. So we're going to start with ones I've seen the most. I'm curious what you would choose in this series of toss-ups. The Santa Claus or Miracle on 34th Street. And I'm talking about the 90s remake, not the original version of that film. We'll go to you first, Britt. The Santa Claus, because I can recite the lines to that movie. It's hysterical. Uh <laughs> It's completely ridiculous. <laughs> one of one of Tim Allen's best, maybe only out like besides Home Improvement. That's the only other time I can really say like, "Great job, Tim Allen." Yeah, he's <laughs> one of those people that has a pretty loaded IMDb page of things that I certainly do not want to watch. I take Santa Claus too. I mean, I haven't. I don't even know if I've seen Miracle on Thirty Fourth Street. Honestly, it's a sweep for the Santa Claus in this case because I didn't like Miracle on Thirty Fourth Street as a kid. I think I want to go back and watch the original one as an adult. I think I'll like that a lot better. It was just too serious and sad for for a Christmas movie. Yes, for me, as a there's like old. a there's like a whole group of like kind of like American traditional holiday stuff that like I missed out on as a kid. Like I spent a lot of Christmases in Jamaica, or uh, sometimes my mom would forget uh, that stores were closed on Christmas, and we would eat dinner at the Waffle House. Oh, yeah, yeah. So that that's the kind of Christmases I had. <laughs> Getting off the plane in shorts. Uh, you know, I remember the blizzard of the century in Atlanta. We landed. There was there was like an inch of snow on the ground, and we were in shorts. Uh, <laughs> we went straight to the Waffle House for dinner. So an that's, inch of that's snow. The, kind of, the storm of the century, <laughs> yeah, an inch of snow. It was, it was an inch of snow. <laughs> that's what they do here in D.C. We had a winter weather advisory. And I'm from New England. And so we got an inch of snow that melted. You could still see the grass. Like, come on. <laughs> yeah, I remember they had, they didn't even have any snow plows. So they had to like import them from like North Carolina or something. They're like, sorry, we can't get this up. Uh, everything's canceled. And they're like, um, my car's driving just fine. I, I don't know. Uh, it's it's kind of slushy already. It's fine. Don't worry about it. But the kids Derek's- are like, no, we got a snow day. Yeah. Derek's like, that's spring in Wisconsin. An inch of snow? Cool. Yeah, I mean, every other year it snows (laughs) on my wedding anniversary in the middle of April. Like, that's just, it's life up here. It's just how it goes. We had the worst winter ever was two winters ago. That was the polar vortex year because we had, first we had an ice storm. Those are the worst. Like, ice storms are the absolute worst because your sidewalks, if you just want to take your dog out for a walk, are major trip hazards. And Roads are actually like really bad. That's one of the few conditions I don't want to drive. I don't want to drive when it's icy. So we had an ice storm. Then we had a snowstorm, like an actual snowstorm, not an inch, like a legit like foot or so of snow that came down over the course of a few days. And then on top of that, we had the polar vortex where it got down to, I think, 
I think the actual temperature bottomed out for a brief time at like minus 30 and the wind chill was minus 55. And there are parts of Canada where that happens every year. It was was the first time I'd ever been a part of that. And we took my dog. She wears boots when it gets really cold. Is the snow freezing or something? Is the snow freeze then? And you're just like walking on top of the snow? It makes it different. I don't really know how to describe it. But the hardest thing about that is for the 90 seconds I'd go outside to take the dog outside, the wind hits you in the (laughs) face. And the only part of your body that's not covered are your eyes. The wind hits you in the eyes. Your eyes water. And the water that comes out of your eyes immediately freezes onto your eyelashes. (laughs) It's it's that cold. And you're just like, oh my God, I am am done if I don't get back inside in like 10 minutes. Like I'm actually in some sort of danger. And I can't believe there are places that get that cold every year and people choose to stay there because going through that once, I... (laughs) I did not enjoy that at all, but Whoa. but like underneath wow. all that snow was a nice sheet of ice too. So my neighbors were Good luck falling down. Anywhere. It was just it was just chaos, just total chaos. Oh yeah, don't don't drive anywhere in those conditions. Uh, next toss up. This one was in our our group Slack, not the three of us, but the company Slack. Home Alone or Home Alone Two Lost in New York. I think there are people that believe the sequel is better than the original on this one. Who? Britt's no. disgusted by this question. Well, I've, I've seen these recently, the kids, and I mean, there's the cat lady and, you know, there's the, the, the bird lady, I bird, guess. She's a bird lady, yeah. Bird I was going to say. Sorry. Pigeon there's, lady. There's, she has a name. There's like, there's, really? I don't know. <laughs> she I think she has a name. <laughs> she, uh. I don't know. I, I, I can't imagine. I My point I want to make about these two movies is, holy crap, they're violent, dude. Do you, like... <laughs> I was watching it with the kids. I was like, kids, don't ever do any of this. And they're like, if robbers come in the house, I'm like, no, call the cops. Don't do any of this. <laughs> your, like, your children aren't trained to shoot could... robbers in the face with a BB gun? Yeah. And like, you know, like the, the, the paint can, like these are like, I was like concussion, concussion, broken legs, concussion. <laughs> like, yeah. This is pretty violent stuff. The number of times that Harry and Marv would have actually died over the first two movies. Yeah. Probably double digits God. from the various things they suffered. Like Flamethrower action. And like... Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. Home Alone 1, though, for me, it's a strong... The sequel yeah. never never is this good. No. There's that iconic scene with the... with the Yeah, he's not even... Ho- like, he's, it's not home. He's not home. It's like a misnomer. Home Alone 2, he's in New York. Yeah. Like, what? Yeah. It's, it's not home. franchise. Yeah. Yeah. I will say it's accurate franchise. though that, that that guy treated him at the hotel desk like he couldn't possibly be in a hotel room. That was me my first few years on the beat at like 21 <laughs> checking into these hotels. <laughs> They'd be like, um, are you lost? There's like a hotel six down the street. You'd be like, no, I, I, I work for MLB. And you're like, you know, <laughs> I come strolling in like no makeup, probably looked about 15, you know, and they're like, you don't belong in these hotel rooms. Get out of here. That's fine. Is your mom or dad coming to check you in? Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> Just had this random thought that Kevin McAllister is kind of like what I think Elon Musk might have been like as a kid, like playing with blowtorches and you know concocting these these booby traps for people out of uh, well engineered things in his dad's garage. Like that just. Just seems like something he'd have been up to back then. Uh, I'm on Home Alone One. I think it's better. I don't think the sequel's unwatchable or anything. I think the sequel's fine. If, you, if you're into Home Alone One, you're probably into Home Alone Two as well. Uh, how about this one? A Christmas Story 
or Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. These are not very similar movies. It's hard to put them up against each other, but hey, you got to do what you got to do in these toss-ups. It's an easy one for me. I am not into the sap and the cheese. I am going Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. I just, I want... I want it to be Christmas adjacent. Like I'm like, uh, you know, what's the what's the big debate? Uh, Die Hard is it a Christmas movie or not? I'm like, I don't care. I know which one I'd rather watch on Christmas. <laughs> Die Hard or Christmas Story? Planes, Trains, and Automobiles or Christmas Story? I'm watching Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. I want to laugh a little. I want to. I want to just. Uh, I want it to be adjacent. Is all I'm saying. Oh, so you don't like any of these happy holiday movies where they make it home just in time and they fall in love at the end. Basically, mm. all my favorite holiday movies. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you, you, no, they can be weird. Like in the next one, you know, there, you know, there's a happy ending of one of them and uh, it's kind of sappy, but it's like a weird movie. So I like it. So I don't want to ruin the next one. But in, in this one, it's like you're sort of playing Jane versus, you know, off the wall. Wow, how dare you? Um, I'm going to go with Christmas Story for the many scenes. <laughs> Sorry, also, I just offended the, you so bad. <laughs> uh, also, <laughs> Fragili must be Italian. There's some great lines in A Christmas Story. That's true. That's true. That's great- true. <laughs> yeah, you'll shoot your eye out. I, I think my favorite line you'll in that movie... So they're in they're in line to see Santa Claus and Ralphie and his brother Randy are standing in line alone at the department store. I forget what it's called in the movie, but the characters from The Wizard of Oz, which is fairly new to the period in which the movie is set they come walking up to him and i think it's the wicked witch of the west and she comes up to him and she's like what a tasty little boy and instead of being like a normal kid he just comes up with this thing that i probably would have done at 10 and goes don't bother me i'm thinking (laughs) And and you see this very confused look on the witch's face as she walks away that stuff's gold for gile obviously great the pink bunny slippers I mean that one. That one's the one yeah. in my family that we watch the most. So that one's just kind of like unique to my Christmas Day experience, I guess. And I'm sure it's unique to a lot of people's Christmas Day experiences because it's on for like 48 hours at a time. Uh, Planes, trains, and automobiles is good. If you haven't seen it, definitely worth checking that one out. Uh, this one, uh, this is another tough one for me, but I'm firmly on one side, so I'm curious where you guys are. Christmas Vacation or Elf? Because I think I think for some people those come up as possible. This is my favorite Christmas movie. This is my favorite holiday movie. This is my go-to this time of year. Uh, Elf being a little more of the modern classic Christmas Vacation now actually over 30 years old somehow. It's hard to believe that movie is that old, but I guess, you know, we're all over 30 years old. So which side of that one are you on, you know? Uh, this that was the preview. I think Elf has, um, you know, they're both kind of off the wall here. And uh, so I'm not totally anti-sap i like i kind of like the way that elf ends and um i think it's off the wall enough to keep my attention and it's fun christmas vacation is uh is a solid choice and we just watched it last night this is actually the hardest one for me uh i like both these movies a lot yeah i agree this is really tough because i love elf uh we do watch christmas vacation a lot it's funny it's i think elf is more current funny more like yeah this like Christmas vacation is almost a little dated funny, right? Where you like know what's gonna happen. Oh, the tree's gonna light on fire. Oh, this is gonna happen because you've seen so many of those movies by now. I understand it was so great back in the day, but for me, it's it's a it's a sol- solid second to Elf here. See, I'm Christmas vacation over Elf, not because Elf isn't good, and 
I think it's coming back to what I like in a Christmas movie. I want to feel like a kid, and I think Christmas Vacation brings me back to that younger age. I don't know how and why that works and happens that way, uh, but Elf is one of my favorite like modern Christmas movies, I guess we'll call them modern, like new in the last 10 or so years, because most of what I go back to is late 80s, early 90s this time of year. Uh, again, you want to feel like a little kid on Christmas, I guess. And I, I'm very curious about Eno's Christmases, though. Now, like those, those sound very different <laughs> than, than mine. Like mine were like a script every year. It was, it was like this is exactly what we're doing on Christmas. Uh, yours sound a lot more fun and whimsical. Uh, I guess. I mean, sometimes I would be super annoyed at mom and be like, "Mom, I don't want to eat at friggin' Waffle House on Christmas. Can we like?" like plan next time (laughs) (laughs) and and i tell you that christmas in jamaica was always very weird for me because you know everyone else is talking about you know you know being cold and by the fire that maybe that's why i'm not that into that cheese is i don't it doesn't like it doesn't link up for me you know i I had maybe one or two christmases by the fire you know Mm -hmm. (laughs) most of the time i was at the beach on christmas (laughs) So, you know, there's it's you don't get that same kind of like roasty toasty and like, you know, let's let's go watch a Christmas story. And you know what I mean? Like, I I just don't it doesn't link up to my my past the same way. So different vibe. I was actually having a thought that um, almost famous is a low key Christmas movie in, in a strange way. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I like all the ones you guys probably haven't seen or don't enjoy, like the holiday love actually all the rom-coms, like, I'm there. It's, I actually am not a rom-com person except for around the holidays. And then I'm like, oh, my God, they're going to be reunited. Um, so I watch a lot of those alone because there's a, only so much that uh, my husband can take. So, Which of those is, is better? Which one would you choose between Love Actually and The Holiday? The Holiday. Uh, because Love Actually is a little too much on the cheese. Uh, the Holiday's got, like, this cranky little old man who's a terrific character who I love. Um, so, and I really like Jack Black and Kate Winslet in that movie a lot. So, plus it's not all, it's, some of it is in California, you know, so it's not all like perfect snow everywhere. So it's, it's, you know, I don't know. That's my favorite movie though. Watching it tomorrow as a matter of fact. <laughs> <laughs> nice. The, uh, those were in the section of movies I've generally either not seen at all or seen very little of. I also have White Christmas in there. I, have, I need to watch White Christmas just because it's. It's like Christmas. How could you not? So I've got that up against Holiday Inn. I don't know if you guys have seen either of those. And then uh, It's a Wonderful Life versus A Christmas Carol, which I've seen parts of It's a Wonderful Life scattered every holiday season forever, but I've never sat down and watched it start to finish, which is absolutely embarrassing in some ways. Well, I share your embarrassment. (laughs) Third. Uh, You know, the... One of the things, too, about once you have kids, like, you lose the chance sometimes to see some of these movies because a lot of times movie time, especially if it's a movie that I'm not super motivated to see, is get stuff done time. Mm-hmm. So you, like, turn the movie on, you watch the first little bit, and then you're like, oh, I've got to go clean the kitchen or get, you know, dinner started or, you know, all these other things that... I put away because I was watching the kids, you know, now the TV is watching the kids. And so now I'll go do these other things. Uh, but I will say that I have, uh, made some new, uh, uh, 
like movie marathon type Christmas arrangements in the family, and we normally do like. Uh, those are my kids. <laughs> TV's watching them right now. Yeah, no, um, I don't know what they're screaming about, but uh, they're playing Home Alone. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, we do movie marathons, but we do uh, and before the kids, we did um, Predator uh, movie marathons, Alien. Um, you know, and now we've gone into more. Is this being handled? Uh, now we're going into more. We do Harry Potter and uh, The Hobbit as movie marathons. We're kind of like a movie marathon family. So um, it, needs, it needs to have like, you know, four or five movies in there. There's about five Home Alones that I will not acknowledge the last three. So <laughs> beware of falling saw, into that trap. We saw three. It's not great. Yeah. It, I, yeah if, no. if you went beyond three, wow. Like, I, I feel very bad for you. But I understand. I know my kids will find four and five, and I'm just like, I don't want, I don't want to help them find it. I'm not going to bring it up. Good choice. Good choice. <laughs> All right. Well, anything you guys are looking forward to in the next uh, couple of weeks here with the holidays upon us? I mean, Britt, you do the Italian cookie thing just like my wife's family does. We spent all of... Friday that night, Saturday, and Sunday just making cookies. I, I put the picture up on Instagram. It's it's like being in a bakery for 48 hours and just being an employee. It was a lot of fun, though, because uh, it pays off. The The hard work is, is fun. It's a cool tradition to, to uphold. Yep. Mine is tomorrow, actually. So uh, it'll be a good time. But yeah, that's that's what I'm most looking forward to, making them and then eating them, obviously. <laughs> Getting the, assor- the assortment on your plate because you make so many different kinds and then you're able to just have this nice little uh, variety plate and then just sitting and enjoying all my cookies. <laughs> and then later regretting why I ate so many cookies. It's like this, you know, cyclical thing. <laughs> they look like they look like sugar cookies to me. Yeah. Uh, no, you didn't just do sugar cookies, did you, Derek? You did other things. No, yeah, we, we always we do a lot. Well, let's see. What are they ricotta? called? There's ricotta cookies. A- Anchonettes. Do you know Anchonettes? We do Anchonettes. Mm-hmm. We do Italian nut balls. We do Austrian chocolate balls. We do snickerdoodles, sugar you cookies, Russian Austrian. tea cakes. Wait a minute. But even if they're sugar cookies, they're kind of like floaty. Are they like really soft? Well, you're so the ones Brit's describing. Those are more <laughs> global. Those are, like these are like very. Yeah generally very italian cookies which one i'm looking at i'm looking at like a google search they look like kind of like like small but like like are they like super fluffy like fluffy christmas like fluffy sugar cookies no i'm gonna get to send you guys some just so you can try them in the future that i wish i would have planned for that this year ricotta inside no no we don't have any any with ricotta it's so the dough you know dough is made from scratch of course we have some that are, are red, white, and green together, and they end up being like little rounds with some icing on top. And those yep. are those are pretty. I don't even know what they're called. They're yeah, they're just the I'm most Italian at looking cookies of all. We have some. Yes, cookies what that are we, those called? Uh, I, I don't. I never really got a name on those. Anisettes. We had maybe. Yeah, aren't they? Yeah, we do those. We have something called couplets, which are they? They're like dough with a little bit of, of nuts, like crushed pecans that we roll them in. And then there's frosting, a little bit of frosting in the middle. Almond. Yeah, I don't think there's any almond in that one. Mm. We have tattoos, which the tattoos are are pretty different. I've never seen anything quite like those before. I think they're they're like pillows with jelly. We have uh, shaminus, which mm. are like little. They almost look like little crackers with sesame seeds on them. So they're less sweet than the others. Those are good. Those actually pair really well with beer. And then we yeah. have um, 
some chocolate ones that are really good. Um, yeah, so we like been, Nutella inside, like a little bit of chocolate filling. No, no, like no, the no filling. Dipped the chocolate dipped ones. We don't do those. Mm. Nope. Oh, did you do the butter cookies? The Italian butter cookies? Nope. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> those look. We do good. mini cannolis. There's like amaretto yes, cookies. Yes, I do see too. mini cannolis. So you, do, you do a lot of the ones that are on this this main article that comes up. Uh, yeah, Not ours ours article. are like the glazed Italian Christmas cookies, a soft cake like texture. That's that's. There's a the, fig one. The anisettes we definitely do, or an- yeah. anjanettes is how I thought we said it. Uh, we don't do pizzelle. Yeah, we used to have those in our family, and they don't make them anymore. I don't know why. Yeah, we don't. There's do a fig one called Chuchidadi or something. Cookie Chuchidadi. No, never, do never done the fig one. We did uh, something this year from the other side of the family. They're called Butterhorns, and hmm. I don't, I've never seen hmm. Butterhorns in a bakery before. If you go into an Italian grocery store, they'll have all the different cookies we make and a bunch more, a lot like the ones that that Brit's describing, and Butterhorns. They have two fillings. One's a prune filling, which is pretty different because you don't put prunes and stuff really anymore. But the other one is ground up nuts and brown sugar. It almost looks like a pastry. Is it almost like a pastry? Like a like a like almost like a bread breaded type thing? No, they don't look like. I'm looking at the the Google search results. They I'll have to send a picture out of these. But anyway, I'm looking forward to eating all those because we spent all of last weekend making. <laughs> yes. Them, so. What do you got, you know? I kind of want you to send me a recipe so that I can make them. I'll send you some recipes. They don't give me the recipe, so you got to get them from Brit. I don't, I don't even know the recipe. I'm just I'm just oh, hands. I'm you're just not allowed to, to know? Do. Not allowed to know. <laughs> I'm married in. I'm not allowed to have the recipe. <laughs> not blood. A lot, a lot of them, you know, we had to like 10 years ago um, type them all up because they were handwritten on index mm-hmm. cards for my grandmother, and they got so worn and so you could barely read them. Yeah, And yeah. so we finally like... Um, handwritten them up, and my sister actually sent me some of them on email because, yeah, a lot of them like. Oh, you I want those. Yeah, you couldn't our, like find our our food. The the the, the food situation I'm married into is we do enchiladas um, every Christmas. Um, then uh, we'll do a um, oh, why am I blanking on it? A, a, a chili like a, a what's a pork with like you put basically with salsa and you put it in the. Um, pork put it in the salsa. Uh, carnitas. Yeah, basically, but uh, I'm 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 blanking on that one. That I usually my wife does that one, but I do. Then I bring in the German stuff, so I'll do rack of lamb. Um, I'll do uh, yeah. some roasts, uh, uh, tons of mashed potatoes, and uh, we're yeah we're gonna do it up. We're ready to to do some cooking. Yeah, there's some. Really interesting traditions out there. We had a few people that emailed in to Scandinavian Christmas food. Uh, so that's what, Ludafisk? <laughs> it's, oh, it's yeah. big in this I, part I of the country. I actually Googled Ludafisk after that. <laughs> it, I don't know that I'd be super excited to eat the Ludafisk. Yeah, dried whitefish. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm i okay with, uh, with whitefish on like, you know, like on a bagel, you know, but that's usually a little bit more like salmon or something, you know, it's like salty and wet. Yeah. I don't know about the dried aspect of it. Yeah. I think I'd pass on the, uh, the lutefisk, but, uh, Hey, if that's your tradition, I understand why you love it because, uh, I love the traditions that my family has and the ones that I picked up yeah. joining my wife. On one family. side we have dried fish and on the other side we have tons of cookies. <laughs> it, it's, it's really good. If, if your two family traditions kind of blend well together, my mom always makes Buckeyes. <laughs> 
the peanut butter uh, and chocolate oh. balls. You, you make little peanut butter balls, dip them in chocolate, put them in the freezer. Mm. Those are good. So we made a batch of those. And then we dug up an old recipe. My great-grandma made something she called polar bear cookies, which was uh, white chocolate chips melted with some crunchy peanut butter uh, mixed with Ooh. mini marshmallows, uh, rice krispies, and a little bit of crunchy peanut butter and peanuts. So it comes out to be just a like a ball, but kind of like a Rice Krispie treat, but a little softer, a little more flavor going on. Those were really easy. They're a no-bake dessert. So um, if you're not very skilled in the kitchen, you could easily make them. And that's what this polar bear cookie. I'll send you guys the recipe. No, what's one. the other one? The, the peanut butter one. Buckeye? Oh, the Buckeye. Buckeyes. Yeah, yeah, the Buckeye. Yeah. Buckeye. Yeah, we're doing a cookie exchange next year. We're getting yeah. we're gonna start like a month ago, and we're doing a cookie exchange. Because if I send yeah. them to you now, the way the mail goes, you'll get them in February. So yeah. we're doing it next year. The Black Friday cookie bake of 2021 is is now on the. Calendar. Yeah, we got to do it before the Christmas rush so that we can get the cookies before they're stale. Yep. Yeah. That's our plan. See, it's good starting new traditions already for uh, for <laughs> next season. Well, no matter what you're doing to celebrate this holiday season, I hope everybody out there has a great holiday. Britt Eno, it's been awesome doing this show with you guys throughout the year. Looking forward to a great 2021. Hope you both have an awesome uh, Christmas and New Year's. Yes, I, I, it has been really, really a pleasure. Uh, and thanks, Britt, for, for joining our show this year. That has uh, been a real positive step for us, I think. And it's been really fun to do these. Um, and to all the listeners, thank you for listening and rating and reviewing. <laughs> yes, we appreciate yes. that. That's, that's the small gift. If you want to give us a very small gift for this uh, holiday. And sending us emails, man. A lot of the times we need those emails to finish out the, to, to have enough content with no hot stove. Uh, but also it, it, it makes us feel like we have a community here that we're connected to and we're all uh, just trying to think about baseball and, and have interesting questions and uh, go down weird rabbit holes. yes it's been great and uh hopefully 2021 will have much better more positive uplifting storylines to talk about yeah it has to right so stay healthy stay happy everybody we're back with you in 2021 thanks for listening 